I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad you're listening today to Awakened to Grace because we are continuing our journey through studying the Lord's Prayer. And I'm so excited to share today's sermon with you because it may perhaps be the most mysterious portion of the Lord's Prayer. This is a very difficult verse, verse 13 of Matthew 6. The Bible says Christ taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. And yet James 1, 13 teaches that God will never tempt us with evil. So why would Christ teach us to pray that we wouldn't be led into temptation? Well, I attempt to answer that today using the whole counsel of God's Word. And I sure hope it speaks right into your life. So today, I hope you enjoy this sermon from the series called Kingdom Come. And as always, I hope you're connecting with us on all of our platforms, especially our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace. Download it today and explore the vast number of resources that will literally be at your fingertips, and every one of them are absolutely free. I hope you'll continue to pray for me. I hope you'll continue to pray for the ministry of Awaken to Grace as we cast our nets as wide and far as we can to become fishers of men. Let's get to God's Word today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, so far in this series, let me walk us where we've been. We began in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6 with understanding, number one, in week one, the person of the prayer. We learned that God is our heavenly Father, And the reason why that is so important is because God is not like our earthly fathers. God does not fail. God does not disappoint. God does not let down. He does not sin. God is not like human fathers. He is our heavenly Father. And the first priority of praying rightly, the first order of prayer is that we would acknowledge our heavenly Father before we ever acknowledge our needs, before we ever acknowledge our temptations, before we acknowledge any portion of our life. We say, you are our Father, hallowed be your name. In other words, we honor and we reverence and we worship the name of God all. Almighty. And that's the first order. Secondly, that's the person of the prayer. In week two, we talked about the priority of the prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. That may have been one of the, my personal most favorite sermons the Lord has ever allowed me to preach. We explained what it meant for God's kingdom to come. We explained what it meant in heaven. There is no resistance to God's will. There is no rebellion to God's will. And when we live a life submitted to Jesus where there's no resistance and there's no rebellion, the will of God is literally done in our life as it is in heaven. 
so it is in us. Many times, I'll pray over my blindness and I'll say, Lord, as it is in heaven, may it be on the earth. Amen. Thirdly, we saw the provisions of the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. You know where we get our English word provide? It actually comes, the word pro means before. The word vide is where we actually get our English word video. It means to see, to watch. And when you put provide together as in provide, it means before there was ever a need in your life, God already saw it and God's already provided for it. Amen? The provision of the prayer. And then last week in week four, we saw the pardon of the prayer. We said for many, that's the most difficult part of the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our, what? Debts. As we forgive our debtors. We learned in last week, we learned we owe a debt to God that Christ paid. What do we do when others owe a debt to us? We've all sinned against God. That's our debt to Him. But what do we do when people sin against us and they owe us a debt? We forgive them their debt as God has forgiven our debt. Today we come to the fifth portion of our series. And today we're talking about the protection of the prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I just want to break this down today, word for word, phrase for phrase. And may the Lord give us great understanding today. This, in my view, is the most mysterious portion of the Lord's prayer. There's a big problem with this opening phrase. Lead us not into temptation. Now, that's a head scratcher. The reason why is because what is implied, what Jesus seems to be implying here, is that God at times will lead you into temptation. So is that true? You know what's difficult where I think so many people fail in, in their understanding of the Bible is they don't understand how to interpret the Bible. I stumbled along a podcast um, last night and it was an atheist podcast and it broke my heart. It's actually a call-in show where people call in and this man and this woman are the host and I was listening last night and this young guy in his 30s called in from Atlanta, Georgia and he was sharing how he grew up in a Baptist church, in a conservative church in Atlanta but after college he lost his faith and now he doesn't believe in God but yet there's something in him that tells him there's a God and he had oh so little faith left and I listened carefully to his conversation. And these two very wicked individuals, let me tell you, they absolutely dismantled what little faith this young man had. And it broke my, oh, I would give everything I have to talk to this man. 
But this young man kept saying something that perked my ears and bothered me at the same time. He kept saying, but to me, God is this, or to me, the Bible is this, or to me. And let me tell you, this is where we miss it. Let me, let me, just, let me tell you frankly, you cannot interpret the Bible, and neither can I. God is his own interpreter. We have clay hands. We have clay feet. You and I don't have the ability to interpret the Bible. So it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter how you were raised. Is everybody with me right now? The Bible interprets itself. That's the only way to accurately interpret the Bible. Here's the phrase that the Bible uses. It's called the whole counsel of God. So when you come across a difficult text, a tough text, how do you interpret it? You don't say, well, this is how I see it. (laughs) You don't say, well, this is how I feel. The other day I was uh, going to bed and my little... Two-year-old John Mark, he's two and a half. He sleeps right in my back. He was in my back like a door jam. (laughs) But he was going to sleep, and he was in my back. (laughs) And I started thinking, you know, John Mark, he's learning a bunch of words, but let me tell you, he has no idea what our mortgage is. He has no idea how much food we buy. He doesn't know how to fill a car with gas. He doesn't know all my responsibilities here. There is a world outside of his that he has no concept of. Is that right or wrong? That little boy, all he knows is how to play. He knows how to fight with his siblings. (laughs) He knocked his brother's tooth clean out Mother's Day. He knows how when he's hungry, right? And he knows that mom and dad loves him fiercely. Beyond that, he don't know much outside his bubble. And boy, the Lord began to minister to me and say, Chad, you live in this little bubble where I give you your daily bread. You live in this little bubble. All you know is just the love of God. You have no idea what I manage. You have no idea the capability of all my power. You have no idea how I spoke the world into existence. Oh, Chad, there's so much about me. You have no idea. Who am I to tell God you're this or you're not? No, I'll be like Job. I'll cover my mouth. And I'll say you are God and I am not. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So how do we interpret this? Lead us not into temptation. This is a problem. This is mysterious to me. What does Jesus mean? Lead us not into temptation. You ready to learn this morning? All right, let's dive in. All right. James chapter 1 verse 13. What did we say? You interpret the Bible using the Bible. You don't interpret it with your own thinking. You most certainly don't interpret it with your own feeling. You interpret Scripture with Scripture. So what does the whole counsel of God teach Well, here's what it teaches. James 1.13. When someone is tempted, don't let him say, God has tempted me. Because God cannot tempt with evil. Okay? 
So then, what does Jesus mean? Lead us not into temptation. I think this is what Jesus is saying. See, Christ is the great shepherd, right? The Bible calls him the chief shepherd. If you let God shepherd your life, do you know where he's going to lead you? He's going to lead you beside the still water to restore your soul. God's going to lead you in green pastures. God's going to lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Amen? But see... Verse 14 of James 1 says that when we are tempted, the Bible says we are led away. Or another translation there is we are lured away. We are deceived by our own inside, by our own deceptions. This is what I believe Jesus is saying. If you take the whole counsel of God's word, it's not saying that God creates temptation for you. It's not saying that God is the source of temptation for you. I do think that there are temptations that come into our life, but God does not create them. God's not sitting there going, hmm, let me just see what she'll do. Let me just see what he'll do. No, The Lord's not going to set you up to fail. Now, what's interesting is the same Greek word for temptation is the same word for test. So, see, here's what you and I have to learn to do. You and I have to have the ability to recognize what's happening in our life. Does it have God's fingerprint on it or does it have Satan's fingerprint on it? A few years ago, you can go back on the Awaken to Grace app and you can listen to a sermon series I did called Lies We Believe. And in that series, we traced the temptations of Christ in Matthew chapter 4. And what we learned in that series is that Christ did not go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil to see if he would pass or fail. Failure was never in question. Christ endured those temptations, three great temptations, so that he would forever expose Satan's playbook to us. So that we would understand how to handle temptation. That's why he did that. But see, Christ was tempted in every point as we are tempted, yet he was without sin. Friends, do you realize just because you were tempted doesn't mean you've sinned? That doesn't mean, see, so many people yield to temptation. So many people fail in temptation because they think, oh, I'm already tempted. I might as well. I've already sinned because I've been tempted. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. You fail when you give in to that temptation. Amen? So what we have to understand, and I explained this in greater detail in that series, Lies We Believe, but let me touch on it today. The same Greek word for temptation in James 1, 13 and 14 is the same word used for trials and testings in verses 2, 3 and 4. So what's the difference? If you're going to take notes, I want you to note this today. Tests are trials that come from God. They originate on outside circumstances and they are designed to cause us to grow. The Bible says in James 1 verses 2, 3, and 4, the Bible says, count it all joy, brothers. When you encounter 
trials of various kinds. You know that word encounter right there literally means a calendar appointment. Do you understand that? That when you and I go through trials in life, you know what? God is never shocked. When I faced blindness, God on his throne did not look at that and go, oh, oh no. Oh, this was never supposed to happen to Chad. What are we ever going to do? Our trials do not surprise God. They're actually scheduled. They're actual calendar appointments. That's why, hear me now, that's why when you face trials, you can count them as joy because God is in control. God is sovereign in your life. God has his fingerprint on them. Amen? So he says, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces And then he goes on with a list of great things, endurance and patience. But then he says in verse 13, God does not tempt with evil, nor can he tempt with evil. And verse 14 says, when you are led astray or when you are lured away, that's when sin, when it is conceived, and when sin grows up, it brings forth what? Death. Everybody on the same page with me right now? So here's my question. Can God lead us into temptation? I think the Bible answer is, while God knows you will encounter temptation, case in point, Joseph facing Potiphar's wife, God does not create the temptation. He does not source. He is not the source of the temptation. But rather what he does is he gives you grace And he gives you strength to go through it. Amen. If you are led by Christ, if he is shepherding your life, you're not going to be led toward temptation and sin. You're going to be led toward the paths of righteousness. And temptation is not going to have quite the grip on you as if you are led in destructive paths. A few things about temptations if you want to note this. Number one. Number one, we are all vulnerable to temptation. The question is not if I am tempted. The question is when will I be tempted? Temptation touches every single life. And I want you to understand, precious friend, I don't care how much you love God's word. I don't care how rooted and grounded you are in your faith. I don't care how careful you are to obey the Lord and live a holy life, you are vulnerable to temptation. You are susceptible to it. So what is the key? The key is to be able to recognize it when it comes. The key is to be able to tell, is this a test sent from God in order to make me grow? Or is this a temptation sent from Satan, from the evil one, that is designed to cause me to fall? See, remember, tests originate from God. They're outside circumstances that are designed to make you grow. The second point to that, temptations 
originate from Satan, from the evil one. They come from within. How many of you know the dangers within? Pride, greed, jealousy, lust, bitterness, anger, and the list goes on and on and on. There are things inside of us that if we are not careful and we don't keep a godly check on, there are things that originate from within that are temptations and they are designed to cause you to fall. Does everybody see the difference? And when you're able to recognize the difference, then you'll know what comes from God the test, the trials. You'll know the purpose. They're designed to cause me to grow and their outside circumstances. Therefore, I can count it all joy because God's in control of it all. And then you can recognize what are temptations, things that originate from within, things that are caused by Satan, things that Satan wants to cause to see you fall and to stumble. I want to know what has God's fingerprints on it, and I want to know what has Satan's fingerprints on it. And when I can perceive the difference, then I can respond the appropriate way. Number two, because we are all susceptible, because we're all vulnerable to temptation, number two, I want you to understand this, temptation is inevitable. It's unavoidable. You will face it. The question is, can you recognize it? Martin Luther said it so well. He said, birds can fly around my head, but I don't have to let them build a nest. Temptation, listen friends, you can face an onslaught of temptation, but you don't have to sin. Do you understand? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it so well. He said, temptation is in the bait, but sin is in the bite. Satan may put baits out in front of you, but you don't have to bite. Temptation is in the bait. Sin is in the bite. When you learn the difference, you'll be able to face temptation. You'll be able to not enter into temptation. You'll be able to prevent it. And then number three, temptation, we're all susceptible Number two, temptation is inevitable. Number three, temptation is lifelong. Just because you enter into a new season of life, because you transition into a new phase of life, oh, let me tell you, friends, temptation will be there waiting on you. You never outgrow it. You won't come to this stage or this phase or this season and think, oh, I'll be done with temptation at that no It's always going to be there. That's why we must learn three things. Note this very quickly. You must learn, number one, to recognize temptation. When you can can distinguish Satan's fingerprints, when you can tell this is from the evil one, when you can tell this is designed to cause me to fall, you, you are on the fast track to preventing it. Listen, number one, recognize it. Number two, refuse it. Remember what Joseph did with Potiphar's wife? I preached a whole sermon on temptation in that series called The Life of Joseph. It was called Providence, The Life of Joseph. Go back and listen to that. When you refuse it, you remember what Joseph did with Potiphar's wife? He refused her. 
When you can recognize temptation, you'll then have the ability to refuse it. And then what do you do thirdly? You resist it. See, what happens with so many precious believers is they'll refuse a temptation and then they'll think, okay, I won that battle. And then we're shocked when it comes back again. Do you remember what Potiphar's wife did? She pursued him day after day after day. Friends, you may be in a situation where temptation is hot on your heels. You may be in a situation where you got victory last month, you got victory last week, but you failed here. Listen, you may be in a situation where it's constantly pursuing you. Let me tell you, when you can recognize it, you can refuse it, and then you have to ongoing, you have to resist it. Why? Because it's lifelong. Is this helping anybody today? Is this making sense? Resist it. Resist the devil, James 4, 7. That's what we're called to do. We're called to resist him. And let me tell you, my friend, if you're somebody that you're waiting on God to take care of the temptation, you just think somehow in your head that it ought to just magically disappear. Friend, it's wrong. You have to resist the devil. And God will give you grace to do it. Amen? Lead us not into temptation. What I think Christ is saying, I think Christ is saying, you let God shepherd your life. God will not tempt you with sin. And you know what? Because temptation is inevitable, because temptation is lifelong, it's always awaiting you. But God's not going to lead you to it. Amen? While it's going to happen, you're not going to be you're not going to be led into it. Why? Because the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, he's going to lead you in paths of righteousness if you're willing to let him shepherd your life. Now he says, notice this last phrase, but deliver us from the evil one. What does he mean by deliver us? Here's the protection of this prayer. You know what I love about this? To me, this, is re, this should reflect, when we pray this prayer, this should reflect our heart of great dependence upon the Lord. You see, friends, just like I need daily bread, just like I need daily forgiveness in my life, do you know what else I need? I need daily protection from the evil one. I desperately need that, do you? I need daily deliverance out of sin. I need daily deliverance out of my own pride. I need daily deliverance from arrogance. I need daily deliverance from the snares of the evil one. Oh, how I desperately need that within my life. Do you? This prayer teaches a great dependence upon the Lord for deliverance in our life. Colossians chapter 1 teaches that we have been delivered. From the domain, that means the power. It says we have been delivered from the domain of darkness into his marvelous light, into the light, into the kingdom of light. I want you to think about what that means. We've been delivered out of the power of darkness into his great light. Praise God. Let me tell you, our church ought to be in the business of delivering people, you know it? We ought to know how to do spiritual warfare. 
We ought to know, we ought to be able to recognize how Satan is ensnaring people's life. We, that ought to be, listen, we ought to be experts in it. Do you realize that? Last night, were you talking about how grateful and how thankful I am for the doors and the opportunities that God is opening for us. Do you know last night was our 14th consecutive Saturday at Hunger First Feeding. Last night we fed about 90 people last night. Glory to God, amen. Last night I was able to share scripture. Many people were praying. With the, I, we had about 20 go with us last night. Daniel and Christy Roberts ran point for us. and Man, they did a great job. Bobby and Susan ran point. They did a great... Oh, I tell you, I was just so thankful. Pastor Bill wasn't able to be there last night. and I thought, boy, can we do this without him? Let me tell you. God, boy. <laughs> we, Pastor Bill came in Monday morning and said, Chad, I'm, I'm worried. I mean, I don't know if we're going to have enough food this week. Do you have any idea how much food came in? We had 10 massive pans of fettuccine. Texas Roadhouse donated all kinds of salad and 100 rolls. We had 60 bananas and 100 cupcakes and 150 slices of watermelon. Some of you are going, man, I wish I was there. Why did I not go? Yesterday was not the day to miss. Hallelujah. But let me tell you, we're doing far more than providing food. Do you realize this? Listen now. William Booth, the man who founded the Salvation Army in the 1800s, General Booth said, it's hard to preach the gospel to a man with an empty stomach. And that's true. A couple of weeks ago, we did Brenner. Y'all know what Brenner is, don't you? Breakfast for dinner. Let me tell you, we better know how to deliver people. One of the young men that we're praying so fervently for, we're praying God opens his heart to the gospel. He was sitting beside Pastor Bill, and he was eating his biscuits and gravy. And he told Pastor Bill, he got tears in his eyes. And he said, I hadn't had biscuits and gravy since my grandmother died. Friends, it opened his heart to the gospel. Pastor Bill shared Jesus with him. I got to connect with him last night. He walked me to the car and said bye to me. Let me tell you, people's hearts are opening to the gospel. But listen, we better know how to deliver people. We better know how to speak Jesus over people. We better know what it means in Timothy when the Bible says that Satan has ensnared people. He's taken them captive. We better know how to break those chains in Jesus' name. Amen? And what a prayer when Jesus said, teach us. Oh, listen, he teaches us how to pray, but deliver us from the evil one. Friends, this is a great, great dependence upon Jesus. Do you live a dependent life? Or do you live an independent life? Are our churches so independent from God? You know, it's, it's been said that in so many churches today, the Holy Spirit could leave and no one would even notice. 
Would we? Or would it be business as usual? Friends, we better live dependent upon the Lord. Deliver us. Deliver us. Oh, we should have a heart of dependence. This is the protection of the prayer. And, and, and see, here's the thing, my friend. If you don't live with a dependency of Jesus. I feel the Lord right now have a word for fathers. Fathers, I want you to listen to me. Dads, I want you to listen. Granddads, I want you to listen. If you don't feel a deep need for the protection of the Lord over your marriage, over your children, over their lives, over your home, could it be that you're living too independent away from the Lord? Do you recognize the spiritual war going on on behalf of the soul of your family today? Do you see it? Do you recognize it? Fathers, I want to speak to you right now because if you saw the warfare over your children, you would have them in church every opportunity you could. You'd be speaking into their lives. You'd be tucking them in at bed, telling them God loves you. God has a plan for you. You'd be helping them prepare for their driver's license, telling them God's protection over you. You'd be preparing them for dating, telling them God's protection over you. Do, you. do you recognize, do you perceive, do you see the great need of protection you have of the Lord over your family? Moms, do you see it? Do you speak it over your children, over your family? Let me tell you, if we could see it, oh, if we could see it, then the Lord would give us grace and strength to be able to walk in it. Do we live lives dependent on the grace and the protection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we living independent of God's grace? And then lastly today, the evil one. Now in some translations, the Bible says, protect us from evil. There's a reason why it says the evil one. The original manuscripts say evil one. I think that's intentional. And here's the reason. It's not just a protection over sin. It's a protection over Satan. Now I want you to understand this. Satan is not God. Okay? Satan is absolutely not God. He's not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at one time. Satan is not omnipotent he doesn't he is not he does not have all power he's not omniscient he doesn't know all things satan is a created being but listen satan has a hierarchy ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 there's a hierarchy to satan's kingdom it's highly organized and it's ranked. When Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 and explains the hierarchy of Satan, do you know what he writes in military terms? In other words, there is a ranking to the kingdom of darkness. And see, you and I need to know how to pray against it. You and I need to know how to stand against it on behalf of our children, our families, our co-workers, our friends, our church family, our city. We need to know these things. 
there's great protection of the Lord. Today you may be here and you may feel very vulnerable. You may feel like you're a lost sheep today. Let me tell you, my friend, the shepherd has been looking for you. There's protection with the shepherd. And today, if you'll humble your heart, today, if you'll humble yourself, the shepherd will help you. He'll help you. He'll deliver you from temptation and from the evil one. Let's bow our heads today. Lord Jesus Christ, how greatly we need your help today. How desperately we're in need of you. So today we pray as you taught, lead us not into temptation. No, Lord, shepherd our lives. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Help us, Lord Jesus. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God, will you protect us? Don't let Satan have a one of our children. Not a one of our grandchildren, not a one of our great-grandchildren. Not our marriage. Not our peace and not our joy. He's a thief and he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Protect us, great shepherd. Protect us. And Lord, as we seek to minister to our city, as we seek to minister to the poor and the homeless, may great grace be upon us. May your hand be upon us, Lord. And fill us with all power to do the work of God in this hour. As we're going to learn come January 6th, we're in the last of the last days. Help us to be sharp spiritually, not dull, not asleep, but awake, sharp, keen to what you desire to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.